0: Boston Blackie. Outside the law is
1: no strange territory to Blackie, but never does he stray for personal reward, although the police, and notably Inspector Faraday, find no solace in his motives and only bewilderment in his ability to remain out of their reach. Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend.
2: Time now for Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan is presented from Columbia Square in Hollywood and stars Jack Moyles in the title role.
3: It's not that I ever objected to publicity about me or my cafe tambourine appearing in the Cairo newspapers, but this particular item I didn't like. It said, Captain Sam Sabaya of the Cairo police announced today that the body found floating in the Nile last night has definitely been identified as that of the local cafe owner, Rocky Jordan. The news came as something of a shock.
4: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective.
5: What number have I got? Sam Spain detectives a few. Oh, oh, well me, sweetheart. Effie, F. This, this is me in the flesh, Sammy the Spade. <laughs> uh, oh no, what?
6: Goodbye.
5: Effie, I'm in a payphone. My nickel is running out. Oh, Dwight, how can you be so cruel and play broke with a time right like there? Wait, wait, listen. Are you listening? Yes. I am not dead. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. <laughs>
2: Yes, it's another case for that most famous of all manhunters. The detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction. Nick Carter, Master Detective.
7: There is someone
8: Hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob. <laughs> I finally got my ducks all together now, finally. First of all, before I get to any of the introductions, any of that there stuff there, like that there, stuff like that there, I want to acknowledge a big shout-out to Buck Benny also known as Daryl Lance, L-A-N-T-Z. And I want to thank him a great deal for something that he did for me. And then something that he did for me nearly nine years ago when he asked me to come aboard as one of the voices, one of the, at that time, many voices of uh, the podcasts because we were getting hit with a lot of different shows and Buck can't do it, couldn't do do them all, so I delegated to people who wanted to do that, and it was hit and miss, to be honest. And I was the only one that w- that was in there punching, and I was doing my shows as fast as I could. Even though at the time, I was operating under the fear of the microphone. I no longer have that fear, thanks to him. And that's something that has plagued me for a very long time, right at the beginning of when I got interested in doing broadcasting. But... He stuck with me, told me I could do it. And he kept encouraging me. And I want to thank him from the bottom of my heart. Daryl, you're the best guy in the whole world. You're the best boss I've ever had. I don't even think of you as a boss, really. I refer to you as a boss, but you're more of a friend. I want to thank you. And uh, for everything that you've done in the past and what you did recently, I want to thank you for that, too. And uh, I just want to say that uh, God bless you, Daryl, and your family for encouraging me and helping me do this. A man who was afraid of the microphone. The fear is no longer with me. So I can go on with this introduction. (laughs) Because apparently a bunch of you have been complaining to Daryl about what happened to the show's. Where are the shows? Where are my detective shows? They're right here, under my wing. I'm sorry, you had to be a victim (laughs) to my taking the summer off. It was my first summer in nine years that I took off. I am back, and so are the shows. So, keep your ears peeled, It's going to be a bumpy ride, as they say, and we'll start off with The New Adventures of Sam Spade from January 19th, 1951, and the episode is entitled Cloak and Dagger Caper, and after that we have Rocky Jordan from August 21st, 1949. And the episode is entitled, Gum Queen? What is this, a woman who has a crown on her head that has no teeth? Or is she the inherent, inherited manufacturer of chewing gum? We don't know. And after that, the new adventures of Michael Shane. From January 8th, 1949. The episode is entitled, The Phantom Neighbor, and it just might be The Shadow. And after that is Boston Blackie. From December 6th, 1945. The Jewel Thief Named Atkins. Listen to all these, minus Sam Shovel. And I'll see you all back here next week, God willing, and the creek still will rise. And thank you for being somewhat, sorta, kinda, maybe impatient, or not patient, or patient for missing your detective shows. I'm glad that I'm able to bring them back, and I will be working through the summer next year to make sure you get. These shows and others. So enjoy all of these shows, and I'll see you all back here next week. Enjoy.
5: The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. <laughs>
6: Detective Agency,
5: Miss Farine. Who did you think it was, Sam?
6: Not a hottie?
5: You don't know what a hot guess that is, cherub.
6: Really, Sam? Mm-hmm. You think I'm the femme fatale? I in a
5: black velvet gown with a veil. What chance would I have,
6: Sam? You've given me new hearts.
5: Deservedly so, wonder girl. And in femme fatale, you have hit upon what might be called the keynote of the saga, which even now I am itching to tell you. A saga? More, a tale, Effie. Well calculated to keep you in. Oh, no, we better put that another way. But while I mull a subtitle for this Oriental Tapestry, find yourself a copy of something by Eric Ambler or E. Phillips Oppenheim and phone up on the ground rules of international intrigue. Woo, international? Yes! The next 39 steps you hear will be me walking up to the door in my black Homburg and velvet collar, with my pockets bulging with plans for submarines, supersonic airplanes, and secret fortifications, and my tongue a wag with a report. Which will echo around the embassies of the world as the cloak and dagger caper. For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer, director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam? Who else?
6: Damn! I thought you were kidding.
5: About what? The
6: black Baumberg in velvet colored overcoat.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But underneath the overcoat and
6: same old thing.
5: With the same old suit and the same old shreds.
6: Who did it this time?
5: Thereby hangs the tail. (laughs)
6: Huh? It's hanging out the back of your trousers, Sam. What? Your shirt, sure Oh.
5: Well, better keep the coat on. Jawara Hal won't mind. Who? Jawara Hal Barra. It's his coat. We'll go into that right now. You ready?
6: Yes, sir. To...
5: Jawara Hal Barra. Uh-huh. Well, speaking... From
6: Samuel B. License number
5: 127596. Subject... The coat and Dagger Caper. Dear Jawara Hal. I'd been out Friday night until 4 a.m. Watching wedding presents. So when Saturday turned up rainy, I did the mad, impulsive thing and decided to stay home. I plugged the phone, built a fire and a tall drink, invited Freddie, the neighbor's cat, in for a short milk, put my feet up and my head down, and reached for a magazine. A picture of peace to our hell. Freddy lay on the coffee table, purred and busied himself, spinning the hand-rub lazy suit in my unpredictable Aunt Adelaide. gave me... The magazine turned out to be time with a picture of an austere Asiatic gentleman on the cover. Two pages and I have the kind of headache you can only get from reading the news these days. So I turned it in on a slick pulp with a breathless yarn about an international gun shoe and a satin lined cloak who kept running into women with bosoms full of papers. up at him, her eyes smoldering, heavy-lidded. You, she faltered, you are Sheridan Ballard. Mr. G. too? He nodded. Her knife made a glistening arc, sopping as his hand met her wrist, gripping it like a vise You, you liar, she hissed. With the other hand, he ripped away her veil, smothered her lips in hot, fierce kisses, felt her go limp in his arms. Now, Zelda, my girl, he whispered, let's have the plans for that plutonium-powered rocket ship. <laughs> ah, veil lady. Well, <clears throat> what can I do for you, Vale Lady?
9: You do not mind that I come in so.
5: How did you come in so?
9: The door is open. I see sitting in chair an attractive man. So?
5: So. You are perhaps working on a remake of The Thief of Baghdad for television. Black tube, of course.
9: Oh, you mean uh, this, what I have on?
5: Also, this, what you haven't on. Yeah. You keep out of this, Freddie. I saw her first. So, you just happened to be wandering past my door and popped in, is that it? Miss,
9: You may call me Shalimar.
5: Hmm.
9: No, no. I do not just pop in. I come by design. Well,
5: just what kind of designs do you have in mind? Mr. said, Hmm?
9: You are private eyes.
5: Shalimar, I am private eyes. You got troubles? Much. How much?
9: I am beloved of Achmed.
5: Well, that's nice for Achmed. Achmed who?
9: McClatchy,
5: Ahmed McClatchy. How do you explain that?
9: He has two American names.
5: Oh, figure, figure. figure.
9: You are a friend of Ahmed too.
5: Never heard of him.
9: Oh, perhaps Mister Say, perhaps uh, you forget.
5: Ahmed McClatchy, no, no, never forget a face. What's the matter with Ahmed?
9: Rashish. Dope. Much. He has the wild dream, the night host of what you call hallucination. the nation. You have told others of Ahmed's visit to you?
5: I have told no one of Ahmed's visit to me for the simple reason that he. Oh.
9: Huh? <laughs> do not file upon one falsehood another. Well, I. Ahmed has to you paid a visit, if I know. Oh. Now, if you will be so kindly, I will join you in the dream.
5: Now, wait a minute. Why don't we? Sure,
9: sure. Mm-hmm. You uh, do not want to talk with Shalimar?
5: Well, I. Uh... Just think we ought to clear up this, Miss mm-hmm.
9: <laughs> Now?
5: What do you have? <laughs> Had I been the Sultan and she, Shahrazad, the book would have gone on for 20 more volumes. It was all there the veil below the eyes, the jackets and long satin pants, plus a superabundance of what Sultans look for when they are employing a harem. I fumbled around putting, I don't know what, into a couple of martinis, found more milk for Freddie's saucer, and then set all three between us on Aunt Adelaide's Lazy Susan. <laughs> <laughs> this I like, Mr. Spade.
9: Fine,
5: fine. Now we talk. Uh, drink your milk, Freddie. Now we talk. Oh, uh.
9: You have match? Oh, oh, my purse.
5: Oh, I'll get it for you. Oh, move now. You're almost stepping on it. Oh, so clumsy. Uh,
9: the lipstick is on the chair. Yeah, I see it. Uh, there we are.
5: There.
9: Thank you. No now, uh, the light. It? Got it. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, Mr. Say, before we talk of Achmed, let us bring to him, huh?
5: Right. To Ahmed.
9: To Ahmed.
5: What's the matter, Freddie? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, look. Uh, the note's on the wrong side. He did it again. did, did what? Well, he likes to spin the lazy Susan. Lazy Susan? What did he do? Now, take it easy, honey. The thing spins. See, you got my drink, I got yours, and Freddie got left out. That's no. It. Oh, no! Daryl! You're
6: look, Hey, please. Oh, go off the deep end. Take it easy. What's the... What's the matter with oh, you? Oh,
5: oh. Huh? Shalimar. Oh, Shalimar, baby. Come out of it now, will you? Where's the like? glass? Oh. Yeah. Cyanate. So, that took care of Shalimar. The purse had nothing except the usual feminine clasp wrap, hairpins, makeup, and cigarettes. No keys, no identification, nothing, except for a locket around her neck. Which is something you don't run into every day. A strange hand-wrought disc-shaped thing what looked like the face of a clock on it. Twelve Arabic symbols where the hour should be and a pair of hands pointing to four. In some, Al, it was the sort of thing Sheridan Ballard, a man called G-2, yawns over, which struck humdrum me as a little bit out of the ordinary. It struck Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide the same way. Look at me, Sam. Look into my eyes. Dundee, I didn't know you cared. Well, I... No, I am not an idiot, Sam I've been in this business for 25 years I've looked at a lot of stiffs in my lifetime yeah. But this is the first coochie-coochie girl in my book Who ever walked in out of the rain and tried to poison a total stranger Well said, Dundee Hear, hear So, so, so use your head, Sam where have you seen her before? I told you I don't know her, Dundee. Then why did she try to kill you? Ask her. Ah, this whole thing's impossible. Hmm? Harem costume, poison, salamar. Uh, Fantastic, I know. I'm sorry. All right, get out of here. The print man, the Emmy, and the photographers will be here in a minute. You'll only get in the way. Where will I go? Anywhere. Find out who this dame is. Who's going to pay my fee? Well, I...
6: Scram. <laughs>
5: Bidding farewell to the gentle lieutenant, I took off into the rain, bound I knew not where. I bought a paper and settled down in a one-arm coffee joint, drank three cups of coffee, and came up with three leads. First, the ballet master at the opera house. we are not doing till three weeks yet. The costumes are all packed up still, and I am missing no ballerinas. Now again, golden apple princesses. One and two, and one and two,
9: and anyway. As she wiggles and waggles, she shimmies and shakes. You never, never saw anything like this, folks. So hurry, hurry, hurry. Direct from a Turkish harem, little Fatima, the girl with the double jointed...
5: Jack. Yeah, hey, Jack. You sure she's in there, Jack? Wait a minute, Jack. Yeah, she's in there, man. Thanks, ma'am.
9: All right, folks, step in a little closer. She shake,
5: Sorry, but I can't help you a bit. This here circus bat is 100% fagged. Homeward bound, I was walking down Grant Avenue when I passed a little shop near Pine Street. Old lettering on one corner of the window spelled out, Hatchadurian J. Papus. importer, curios. How do you do, sir? Hatchadurian J. Papus? You get the pleasure. What's the J for? Never mind, kiddo. You can pronounce it. I accept your apology. Now, will you take a look at this? Huh? Oh, lucky! Eh? Huh? Yes, lucky this is. Where do you get this lucky, uh, sir? I, uh, I found it. I thought you might recognize it. Hey, I think I do. Good. Uh-huh. You know, strange, you should sort have of come here, and yet not so strange either. If you want to look at it. Well, which is it? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I'm perhaps the only feller in town who might have dealt in this kind of stuff here. It's quite uh, genuine. Oh, you mean you sold this? Probably. Sure, sure. Who, who to? I'm trying to remember. A girl? A girl. Oh or, or was it a fella? I a mean, young fella? Or old fella. Well, that leaves only one more category. Huh? An old woman. Oh, you know her then. No, no, I don't know her, no. You know, I wish I could remember to whom I saw it this yes. It's been such a long time, you know. Of course, I can look it up and call you sports. Good. Here's, uh, here's my card. Oh, Sam, sport. Well, if you want to look at it. Uh, you said it's uh, genuine, huh? Oh, sure, sure. Secret uh, Society Medallion. 16th century. It's from the Indian state of Kashmir. Kashmir? Sure, kiddo. Kazmi- What's the matter with you? Don't you understand English? Kashmir typical spade blunder. All I could think of was a girl on a cigarette package, thereby confining my operations to Turkey. But this opened new doors. The first, the most obvious, and ultimately the correct choice was a flotty nightclub known to the town's well-heeled party folk as the Vale of Kashmir. It was dark when I got there, but the front doors hadn't opened yet. Around at the side, an alley led up to the trade entrance, next to which stood a huge wedge-shaped character with a swarthy complexion marred by a scar down one cheek. And to make him even more Oppenheimish, he was wrapped in a black tent-sized opera cloak. I nodded politely, he spat, and I went inside.
6: <laughs>
5: the veil of cashmere is a sumptuous bistro even on ordinary nights. And this night was obviously to be more than ordinary. The table across the end of the floor was banquet-sized. The place was hung with Kashmiri flags. And the picture of an old man who looked familiar was hung from the middle of one wall. The maitre d' was talking to an important-looking gent near the long table, and I walked over to them, pausing only to note one of the dancing girls practicing in a corner in her Shalamar-type costume. It felt like I was close to home. <laughs> Andy Curry, you understand. Not me? too harsh, yes, Excellency. It be as you wish. The florist will be here promptly with the flowers. Yes. I trust you will be prepared to take care of Excuse the Excuse me, gentlemen. <laughs> eh? My name is Faye. Lush put scene, sir, at your service. Please, Mr. Spade, we have... No, 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 not at all. Not at all, my good man. What, what is it, Mr. Spade? Are you uh, in charge here? I am the head waiter, sir. This gentleman is the Kashmiri Proconsul. Oh, forgive me, Your Excellency, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not at all. Uh, do you have a dancing girl here named Shalimar? Shalimar? No. What? Probably use another name. How about Ahmed? McClatchy. Right. Where is he? A former employee as of this afternoon is Ahmed McClatchy. Who? Who is he? My chef. Today, of all time, he does not show up. You know where he lives? Oh, I can look it up, but... <laughs> For sort of the proconsul and and the banquet tonight, the arrangements, the prime minister himself. Sure, guess, sure, please. sure. Just uh, one more thing. A proconsul. Have you ever seen one of these before? Hmm. What is it? A secret society medallion, I tell me. Who. Who tells you this? Hachidurian Popper. Runs a little curio store on Grand Avenue. Know anything about it? Secret society is right. The circle of twelve. You see here, hmm? the hands point to four. Yes, the fourth member, this means. The hand straight up is the leader. You seem to know what you are talking about, head waiter. <laughs> Kashmiri culture is a hobby of mine excellency. This is an ancient, uh, how do you say, subversive organization dating from the time of the Mughal conquest of the 16th century. Very interesting. But of little significance now. The Circle of Twelve has been dead. Three centuries. If you will excuse me, Excellency, I'll get for Mr. Spade Ahmed's address and then I will. Hold it. Ahmed! He just made it to the table, swept the sugar bowl off it, and followed it to the deck. When I saw the dagger in his back, I grabbed my gun and set sail for the alley, looking for the cloak that went with it, but he was gone so was Achmed. I bent down over him, took a closer look, and saw why he spilled the sugar. With his finger, he placed a design in it, a round design, the circle of twelve. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Newcomer to your NBC Sunday lineup starting this Sunday. It's Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Now you can follow the further delightful adventures of the beleaguered Blandings in their famous dream house every Sunday. Starring as Mr. and Mrs. Blandings will be Cary Grant and his charming wife, Betsy Drake. Mr. and Mrs. Blandings is followed over most of these NBC stations by The Big Show, And this Sunday, hostess Tallulah Bankhead will present such bright stars as Fred Allen, Judy Holliday, Patrice Munsell, Gypsy Rose Lee, Vaughn Monroe, and many, many more. The chimes are your invitation. And now back to The Cloak and Dagger Caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Well, Jawara ingredients of a first-class international goulash were here. The cloak, the dagger, the man with a scar on his face, the lady with a veil over hers, and two corpses. By now, Dundee had completed activities with corpse number one at my apartment, so I hustled him down to the veil of cashmere and put him to work on number two. Then I hustled back to my office. The big question had yet to be answered. Dad! None other. Oh, Dad! Huh? Dad,
6: you always have the phone. I've been trying to call you for hours. About Ockman
5: McClatchy, right?
6: And the girl with the veil. Tell is that
5: her name? Probably not, but it doesn't matter to her now. What about Ackman? Oh, he
6: was frightened out of his wits. He said somebody was going to kill him, and I told him he'd come to just the right place because you were strong and brave and good. wonderful. Good, and, and he cried. Good. And I cried. Good,
5: good. But wait, wait, wait. Hold it, F. Yes, Sam? What happened when all the crying was over?
6: Well, I sent him up to see you, Sam. I couldn't he call. He told you
5: somebody was going to kill him, that's all? Yes, Sam. That's why he was crying? Oh,
6: no, Sam, No. That's not why Ahmed was crying. Why? He didn't care for himself. He, he's a, a selfless, generous child.
5: Angel child. Who was Ahmed crying over?
6: The man in the paper. What paper? He's in all the papers, Sam. The Chronicle and the Examiner and the Call and and even on the cover of time this week. You see?
5: A Banquet. That's whose picture it was.
6: The jar the hmm. Prime Minister of Kashmir. Look at the small pen underneath, Sam.
5: On him, the hopes of Asia.
6: That one hurt Achmed, Sam. Not for himself. He said they're going to kill Sir Jawaharl.
5: Two paragraphs later, my taciturn secretary let slip the information that Shalimar had arrived at the office five minutes after Achmed left and departed for my home and hearth loaded for bear. The hullabaloo over you, Jawara was due to the fact that you were at this moment arriving on the steamer Pacifica, en route to Washington, with, as the article put it, the destiny of the Middle East in your briefcase. Ten minutes later, I was fighting my way through the mob at Pier 42. Not just the mob, mind you, but an assortment of bands, a Hindu delegation, the full membership of the Sanskrit Society at the University of California, with a huge banner reading, Jawara we're with you, and an overripe soprano on a pedestal singing, Hail Hands I Love. I struggled through this to the curb just in time to see you pull away in your special limousine, then climbed over some more backs to a phone book. What mm-hmm. yes, like this is Sam Spade, Mr. Singh. Oh, oh yes. Has the Prime Minister arrived there yet? He's due any minute. Why? Right. Well, you better call out the guard. They're going to try to assassinate him tonight. My good man, do you realize my what good to... man, I know whereof I speak. The cook at the restaurant. Ahmed. Yes. That is what... yes, you're getting the idea, all right. It's the old circle of twelve with a brand new paint job. Now get on it. <laughs> My next move may sound to you like a combination of negligence, indolence, and ennui, Jawara Al, but I must remind you that I was not employed on this caper, was receiving no stipend for risking my ever-loving neck, and had added up the figures in the problem of primary interest to me, namely, the lady who tried to kill me on page two. I therefore entrusted responsibility for your health and that of the Middle East to the proconsul, made my way home, put on my slippers, and set the lazy Susan on the floor this time for Freddie to play with now where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, Zelda, my girl, he whispered, let's have the plans for that plutonium-powered rocket ship. Mm. Somehow, this all seems logical now. Never she breathed. Rather death, Mr. G-2, than to betray my country. Quiet, Freddy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 not the butter. No, no, no. Mr. Spade. Uh, oh, hello, Flo May I? Do, do, do. I have taken every precaution. The Prime Minister is on his way to the banquet now. Good. There is one thing I must ask of you. How? Absolute secrecy. The mere knowledge that such an organization as this Circle Hmm. of Twelve exists would give added strength to a disloyal opposition in our country that may express itself in a manner disastrous to our purposes in sending Jawaharlal to Washington. (laughs) You understand? Well, it's taken me a while to learn the ground rules in the International League, but I get the general idea. Uh, you you have spoken of this school no while. No. Oh, excuse me. Hello? This is Hatsudurian the Papa, sir. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, it took me a great deal of long time to check my records, Mr. Spade, but I finally found it. Oh, uh, what's that? The gentleman who bought the set of 12 Kazmiri medallions like the one you saw me, my shop? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. His name is Rasputin. A foreigner fellow, I think. He's the Casmiri Pro Council he is. Oh. Oh, well, uh, gosh, thanks, Dorothy. This is how you the sir. You, I found it just now... Well, Dorothy, a... after all you've done for Alice, the least she could do is thank you. And you can tell her that for me. Now, bye, honey. So long, kiddo. Well, it's just thrilling. Let's see now. Uh, where were we? Uh, you had just given me your assurance, you would maintain strict secrecy in this unfortunate matter. Oh yes, sir. Well, now I must go. They're expecting me at the banquet there. Thank you again, sir. Not at all. Your service to our country and the world will find expression, I hope, on some later day. Good night. Good night. Yeah. Ready? Please, not now. <laughs> down the phone. Well, cloak and dagger in the flesh. Going modern on him with that gun, huh? Put down the phone. What if I told you I'd already made the call? i say you were lying. The line is tapped outside. You figure the angle, Testy. In my business, I have to. When's it coming off? For the prime minister, any minute. For you right now. Oh. He's got you fooled, too, huh? Stay right there who? Rashford. You're a fall guy, you know, doing the heavy stuff. If it kicks back, you get it and the other ten laugh. You think you could talk me out of it, huh? Why, that's the last thing in my mind. I'd never... Everything happened at once. As near as I can recall, it began when cloak and dagger backed onto Freddie's tail. Freddie yells, spun like a top, and C and D off balance put his other foot on Aunt Adelaide's Lazy Susan. Hardly a place for a big off balance man to place his only remaining foot. About then I kicked him in the stomach, added a gun which skidded into a corner, and we went over and over for a while. C and D tore at my suit with his claws and teeth. I beat his head with an ashtray, and Freddie sat quietly in a corner and washed himself. At length, firing at the ashtray, I beat his head on the radiator. And dear Cloak and Dagger gave it up with a long, unhappy sigh. I'm this is a finish up affair. I Get out of my way, head waiter, or I'll walk right over that white shirt front. Please, I can't... Have they been served anything yet? And the drinks are just coming on. I wait, oh, wait.
6: I should be And now... Now, my countrymen,
5: before we introduce our guest of honor, Sir Jawara Halbara, our beloved Prime Minister, I suggest we rise and toast our country. (laughs) (laughs) To Kashmir, may she. Go ahead, Folk Consul. Don't let me interrupt. Please, not here. The standard remark is, what is the meaning of this? Aren't you going to ask me? I'm supposed to be dead. Is that what's throwing you? Mr. Smith, please. A toast is about to be drunk. <laughs> Where's my drink, Folk Consul? <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen. There was at one time a costume in our country
6: for the host to exchange glasses with the guests of honor. Permit me to water hole. To... to <laughs>
5: story, if there is one, is when danger threatens, don't hire a bodyguard. Buy a cat and a lazy Susan. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam.
6: <sighs> Why do people
5: do these things? Oh, we all have different loyalties. We different ideas about duty. Yes? My duty, for instance, is to pick up a knot in my head and a suit full of holes once a week. While your duty...
6: You don't need to... to draw a diagram Sam. I can take a hint. Scoot. <laughs>
5: Three chimes mean good times on NBC. This Sunday, Theater Guild on the Air presents a light, laughable, lovable comedy. It's The Fortune Hunter, and it stars Gene Crane and John Lund. You're invited Sunday to another outstanding one-hour production by Theater Guild on the Air. And a reminder, there's a bright newcomer to your big Sunday lineup on NBC. Mr. and Mrs. Blanding, starring Cary Grant and Betsy Drake. (laughs)
10: What are you
6: ah,
5: How can I do this? Something wrong? Wrong. The papers.
6: The plutonium-powered rocket ship?
5: What else? A dumper if I ever read one, F. The plans turned out sour. Oh,
6: what were they? The
5: veil lady had entered a breakfast cereal contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's life, little one. We struggle, we strive, we think we have success in our grasp, and it turns out dross. Oh,
6: that reminds me. Hmm? How do you like it? What? My new dross.
5: And uh, that concludes the dialogue for tonight, except for one thing, of course.
6: Oh, I'm ready, Sam.
5: -hmm. Hmm. Ah, Who wants to be the man called X? He has a different one every week. I am the man called Spade, constant, faithful, semper fidelis. That's me. Good night, Mister Fidelis. (laughs) Good night, sweetheart. (laughs) Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorraine Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Quanton. Musical scoring by Lud Gruskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. <laughs> Next week, same time for another adventure with Sam Spade. The Magnificent Montague next, then it's Duffy Savern on NBC.
2: Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you by Del Monte Foods, the brand preferred by more women than any other line of canned fruits and vegetables in the world. Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story The Gum Queen.
3: Door to my office in back of the tambourine when he came in. Dark skin, a white suit, and black sideburns. Right then, he looked like any other paying customer, only he didn't stop at the bar. He plotted the shortest course through the tables, making every step count. And when he reached me, he stopped, took off his hat, mopped his balding head with a fresh handkerchief, threw me a frozen smile, and held out his hand. You are Mr. Jordan. That's right. My name is Hakar, Gerard Hakkar. What can I do for you, Mr. Hakar? I wish to learn if it is possible to rent your cafe for a party. It's possible, for a price. I'm in the office, Mr. Hakkar. Thank you, Mr. Jordan, thank you very much. Ah, yeah, about this party. Mr. Jordan, a camel caravan arrives tonight from the Anglo-Egyptian Sudan carrying a large cargo of Arabic. Is that right? Do not confuse gum arabic with the kind of gum you chew, Mr. Jordan, which is in reality trickle. Well, we learn something every day. You see, gum arabic is employed in pharmacology, textiles and such. The gum arabic from the Sudan is about the best in the world. Quite valuable. Well, that's all very interesting. Now, what about running the tambourine? Yes, yes, I am coming to that. The men of the caravan have been working in the interior for many months. Their journey has been arduous. Sheldon wishes them to have a party with much merriment. Sheldon? Who's Sheldon? The owner of the Acacia Tree Plantation in the Sudan. Sheldon is with the caravan, but sent me ahead to make necessary arrangements. All right, supposing we get to details. You are willing to take the party, then? I'm willing to talk about it. Very well. We will uh, motor into the desert tonight, meet the caravan, and discuss final details with Sheldon. Oh, hold it, Harkar. Why out in the desert? Those are Sheldon's instructions. Everything must be arranged and in readiness when the men finally arrive in Cairo. Well? I don't see why not. Anything for a change? Good. At nine o'clock then, Mr. Jordan, I am certain that you will find the journey most diverting. I was going to remember those words. Anyhow, at the crack of nine, her car, steered a 1938 rented convertible up to the tambourine door. I piled in and we drove through Cairo... Across the Ismail Bridge On the west side of the Nile We turned south for a while Then off toward the desert Oh, I enjoyed every bit of it With a full moon riding high The sight of the pyramids was worth seeing again As we left them behind Her car slowed the car And kept peering off into the desert Finally, against the glow of the sky A camel came climbing up over a distant sand dune Then another, and another Till there were 24 of them in a line And coming our way That is our caravan, Mr. Jordan We will wait here Ah, it's quite a sight, Mr. Harkar. Indeed it is. Ships of the desert, Mr. Jordan. Loaded with the product of a year's labor in the Sudan. You're sure Sheldon's with them? Observe riding in the lead there. That is Sheldon. It could be no one else. We waited there for them to approach out of the deep sands. Sheldon riding in the lead especially held my eye. An erect figure and in full command. We sat there a few minutes watching the caravan silently come toward us. And they were in calling distance when all at once it happened. Riding up over the horizon came a pack of horsemen, guns firing, and heading directly into the caravan. Into tribesmen, Mr. Jordan! Raiders in the night! They were pounding in, throwing the drivers to the sand, scattering the camels, and only Sheldon tried to fight back, swinging a whip and pistol, trying to drive off the attack and keep the caravan in line. It was like trying to stop a desert sandstorm. Come, Jordan! Let us
11: go to the raid.
3: And we were out struggling through the sand. By the time we got to the scene, all the camels had been taken, and the raiding tribesmen were vanishing into the desert night. All but one who saw us coming and tried to run me down. I just managed to jump out of the way, and as he rode by, I grabbed him by the foot. And he piled down into the sand. I pulled him up with his robe tightly torn around his throat. And then, with the shot from Hakkar's gun, he suddenly slumped and pitched face down in the sand. Some of the camel drivers came running up. That's when I met Sheldon. Wearing a man's shirt, pants, boots, and a gun strapped to her side, but all woman. Is he hurt? Yes, but he's, he's still breathing. You didn't have to do
12: that, Hakkar. Why
3: should I not shoot him? He was a common thief. Why should we not shoot all of them if we could? Turn him over.
12: We'll see what can be done. Uh-huh. Here, help me tear up his rope. We can bind the wounds for now. Sure. You got the right idea, lady. Oh, by the way, who are you? Name's Jordan. This
3: is Rocky Jordan, Mrs. Sheldon. He is from the Café Tambourine to discuss the party.
12: Help Hakar, will you, Rocky? Carry this man to the car, get him into Cairo. Uh, yes. Mrs. Sheldon, is this necessary? Can we not just leave him? If we don't get him to a hospital bed soon, he'll die. And what difference does it make for such as him? Difference? Dead men don't talk Hakar. If this man lives, he can tell us plenty. Who led the Bedouin raid, where they're taking the gum aerobic? Quickly, Hagar.
11: Very well, Mrs. Sheldon. I will
3: take him to the Cairo hospital at once.
12: And see that he gets there alive.
3: Sheldon stayed behind to organize the bewildered camel drivers, and I went with her car. We took the wounded raider into Cairo and finally got him into a hospital bed. Sheldon showed up a little later, but the raider was still unable to talk. She told her car to stay at the bedside and call us if anything happened, and she and I sat down together outside. For the first time, she began to look tired.
12: Sometimes you wonder if it's worth it.
3: Yeah,
13: pretty rough deal.
12: Got a cigarette? Uh, Sure. Here Thanks. We met at a bad time, Jordan. Sorry if I sounded rough.
3: Didn't strike me that way.
12: Forget it. I'm not so bad when you get to know me. Just been bossing men around too long.
3: You were doing all right when I saw you.
12: Oh? About the party, Rocky.
3: I suppose you'd like to call it off now, huh? I wouldn't blame you.
12: No, no, I promised the men. I don't like to go back on a promise. But you'll have to trust me for a couple of days, though, until I get a loan at the bank.
3: I, uh, don't do business on the cuff, Mrs. Sheldon.
7: No?
3: Forget it. I can understand what that raid did to you. Looks
12: like they took almost everything. Everything I've worked and slaved for the past year, that's all. Anyhow, the plantation's still there. Does it belong to you? No, it was my husband's. When a tropical disease got him, I just took over, that's all. And I did all right. Till tonight.
3: Yeah. Uh, about the party, Mrs.
12: Shellon? Yes? Maybe we can work something out. I told you there was no money yet. Well, anyhow, we can talk it over. At lunch tomorrow? There's a boat tied up in the Nile docks waiting for my cargo. The Minya. You'll find me there.
3: Well, that made it a date, and I went back to the tambourine. My help had closed up for the night long before I got there, but I had a visitor just the same. Just as I was unlocking the door, he shuffled out of a nearby shadow.
11: Uh, Who's that? Uh, It is Belak, one of the drivers from the caravan.
3: What do you want here?
11: I have much to tell, Sir. Although my arrival in Cairo finds me woefully short of money.
3: Well, if that's all you want, beat it.
11: Hey, wait, wait, please, sir. For money, I would exchange most amazing information. What makes you think I'll buy? It concerns the Mrs. Sheldon. And most reasonable, only ten Egyptian pounds.
3: Make it five and talk fast.
11: Ah, uh, there is trouble ahead for you, Effendi. You are in great danger.
3: The information, Balak.
11: The raider who you dragged from the horse in the desert... He who fell by Hakkar's gun. Very strange, sir. Come
3: on, get to the point.
11: The man, he is not a Bedouin at all, not even a native of the desert. And who is he? The man is a Greek named Trakos. Trakos? How do you know all this? That is information I do not sell. But I ask you, Jordan Bay, why would Trakos be with the Bedouins? You're telling it, Bela. Why would this notorious international thief bother with a mere cargo of gum arabic, sir? Ah, there is something behind this, Effendi. There is more than meets the eye.
3: All right, so we'll go see Trakos. Uh,
11: no, no, not I, Jordan Bay. I warn you, keep away from Belak, him. come back here. There is trouble, sir, much trouble.
3: He kept running, and I didn't try to follow. Baylock had told me plenty for his money, enough to send me backtracking to the hospital with a lot of questions. I don't like walking into trouble, and right now is the time to clear it up. When I got to the hospital floor where they'd taken Trokis, neither Sheldon nor Hakar was there, but plenty of other people were. I shoved my way through the crowd to his room. Then I saw it was too late for any talk. Someone made sure he'd never talk. Trokis was dead, but not from the bullet wound. Something a lot more recent and a lot more sure. A knife with a six-inch blade.
2: Monty Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Now, here's a little family drama that's worth listening in on. Enter our hero. He's just finished polishing the family car.
14: There's nothing like polishing the car to give a man a thirst.
10: <laughs> well, you hardworking angel, I've got just the thing you need for a pick me Well,
14: keep me not in suspense, my love. My tongue hangeth out.
15: <laughs> <laughs>
10: Hold your horses,
15: dear. I'll just get this pitcher out of the refrigerator. Um, yeah? Here you are. Del Monte tomato juice, a nice, cool glass.
16: Mm. Say,
2: that's really refreshing. Right, for a real refreshment, a pick-me-up when you need it. It's Del Monte tomato juice every time.
9: Del Monte tomato juice is fresh
17: tasting.
2: And fresh is really the word. Del Monte tomato juice is made from fresh, vine-ripened tomatoes, the kind with that rich, sunny flavor.
17: Del Monte tomato juice is natural tasting.
2: Yes, close quality control by Del Monte assures you of true, natural flavor. In tomato juice, just as in all Del Monte tomato products, only the very best tomatoes are used.
9: Del Monte tomato juice is refreshing.
2: Refreshing is right. A real pick-me-up when you need it. Real tomato flavor that makes you ask for more.
9: Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and
2: refreshing. Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. That's what tomato juice should be. And that's what Del Monte tomato juice is. Look for Del Monte tomato juice at your grocer's. Keep a couple of cans handy in the refrigerator at all times. Now we take you back to Cairo, and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Gum Queen.
3: All in all, it turned out to be quite a night. The attack by Bedouin tribesmen on an incoming caravan from the Sudan. The wounded Bedouin, who turns out not to be a Bedouin at all, but a Greek named Trokos... Before I can get to him with some questions, somebody else gets there first with a knife. Well, that brought Captain Sam Sabai into the case real quick. And it wasn't long before I was sitting in his office at headquarters. He was taking a big folder out of the files.
0: Yes, Jordan, it is regrettable that Fracos did not talk before he was killed.
3: Well, you got something on him, Sam?
0: A most voluminous dossier. <laughs> now we shall see. Hmm. Oh. Yes, indeed. As the driver said, Trakus was a man with an international record. Like what, Sam? A 1945 espionage. Ninth... Mm-hmm. 1947 connected with a vast narcotics ring.
16: Hmm.
0: Uh, just what do the hmm stand for, Sam? 1948 suspicion of assassination. Well, a very big man in crime, Jordan. But not anymore. He's <laughs> most peculiar. That somebody would want to kill a guy like that? Rather, the truckers should become involved in something so small, such as a raiding a caravan. Well, I don't know. The cargo of Gum Arabic was worth close to 12,000 pounds. Hardly worthwhile in view of his previous activities. Hmm. So you think it's something bigger? Well, let's have the rest, Sam. The last we have is when he disappeared to Tanganyiki, South Africa, at the beginning of this year. Oh, one moment. You're going to spend the night looking through those files? We omit no possibility.
3: And then I take it you won't need me anymore.
0: Go if you wish. Oh, Jordan. Yeah? About the Mrs. Sheldon, the leader of the caravan, will you be seeing her again? It's possible. It's on your mind. I'm merely suggesting, Jordan, that you keep yourself free of murder. You've got no reason to suspect her. Not at the moment. But consider, she brings her caravan across the sands almost to the very gates of Cairo before it is conveniently attacked that all that's bothering you? Hardly. But does it not seem strange? I'll take my chances. Very well, Jordan. But mark my word, you have not seen the last of the gum arabic. Sam
3: wasn't telling me what I wanted, so I left him. I was sure he hadn't seen me slip a few pages out of the Tracas dossier while his back was turned and put them in my pocket for future use, just checking on what the
10: mm-hmms
3: meant. It was too late at night to catch a taxi, so I started to hoof it back to the tambourine. Only it happened. I caught a ride.
13: Hello, Jordan. Get in. Sorry, I'm all dated up. There you are now. This gun says, "Get in." You can bill me for the ride. It's on the expense account. You're working for me, Jordan. Doing what? Playing messenger boy. You're taking a proposition to the Gum Queen. Gum queen? Sheldon, Jordan. Don't play dumb with me. What do I tell her? She can have all her gum Arabic bag. You got it? Tell her she's in luck, Jordan. Sheldon gets the whole cargo for half the value. Why half? You could dump it on the open market and do better. I'd rather play it safe and take the loss. You get it? Yeah. Give it to me in round figures. Half the price, I said. Six thousand pounds.
3: And well, I'll remind Sheldon to look you up.
13: I deal with you alone, Jordan have the money on you, I'll be around again. Oh, uh, one more question. Yeah? Who killed Trakus? You're out of bounds, Jordan. Take the deal to Sheldon. And quit!
3: (laughs) I wasn't fast enough for him and his foot slammed me out of the car and onto the sidewalk. The car shot down the dark street and was gone. And I picked myself up, not sure, but that Sam was right. There was a lot more behind this than gum arabic. But I was mixed up in it now and had to play along. When I finally got back to the tambourine, it was almost daylight. I tried for some sleep, but before noon, I was down along the Nile docks to keep my date with Sheldon and her boat. She had traded her rough clothes for something better, and she looked just like I'd hoped she would. We went over to a waterfront cafe. Pretty soon, she got to talking.
12: You've been real nice to me, Rocky. Real nice.
3: Well, let's just say I'm after business for my cafe. I know you better than that. You've forgotten all about the party. Maybe. Any luck with the loan?
12: I'll get it. Enough to last me through another year.
3: Does that mean you're going back to the Sudan?
12: Sure. I've stuck it out there for five years. One more year doesn't matter. Takes nerve. What else can a woman do but hang on to what she's got left? Can't always
3: be bad breaks. Mrs. Sheldon, just how bad do you want your gum Arabic
12: back? What kind of question is that, Rocky?
3: It happens I know how you can get it.
12: How? For 6,000 pounds. Look, Rocky, don't kid me like that. Of course I want it back. Just don't kid me. Half the value of the merchandise. That's his price. Whose price? Well, some character who picked me up last night. What's his name? Who is he? Didn't say. And how much do you get out of it? Nothing. It's a lot more than that to convince me, Jordan. A lot more. Mrs. Shelton, I've been looking all over for you. Oh, Haka. Sit down. We've got some talking to do. Uh, The bank wishes to speak with you about the loan. I'll call them later. Mr. Jordan has some news. So,
3: Jordan? Yeah, a guy picked me up last night with a proposition. He'll return the gum Arabic for half the value. Most fortunate, if true.
12: At least I'll get something out of it that way. A whole year's work isn't gone for nothing.
3: Most interesting that he would go to you, Jordan. I'm not trying to explain that. And how do we know we can trust you at all? You don't. So suppose we forget the whole thing. Uh, Now, do not be hasty, George. Look, Haka, you're the one that landed me in this mess from the beginning. I didn't ask for it.
12: Okay, Rocky. How do
3: I know the whole thing isn't phony? Why should I
12: trust any of you? Why don't you sit down, Rocky? Well, all right. Just make up your minds. We'll go through with it. Only you can't blame me for wanting to know one thing. Yeah? If there's nothing in this for you, just why are you doing it?
13: I don't know. Maybe I can't help liking some people.
12: Well, I'll push things at the bank and try having the six thousand pounds for you this afternoon.
3: One thing, though, Jordan, the police must be informed of this. You think they'll deliver the stuff with the police around? The police need not appear until the merchandise is in our hands.
11: Then they can give it safe escort to Mrs. Sheldon's boat.
12: Okay, it's your money. And Jordan, I'll be close around too. And if it turns out you're working a deal, I'll never forget it.
3: Right away, we set it up with Sam Sabaya and the Cairo Police to move in after the cargo was delivered to me and escort it safely to the boat and out of Egypt. Well, Sheldon's loan went through. She put the 6,000 pounds in my hands. Soon after that, I got a phone call from the guy who had the cargo, and we arranged a rendezvous. That set the stage. I knew that within the next two or three hours, somehow I'd have a few answers to the mysterious caravan raid. But I needed some props. So first I stopped off at the 5 and 10, picked up a few things, then I went alone across the Nile to where the camel trail comes down to the river. At the appointed hour, the camels began to show up one by one. I paid off a share to each driver, who quickly vanished. Finally, all 24 loaded camels were delivered. Then I made my next move, and a short time later, I signaled Sam Sabaya. He moved in quickly with his men.
0: We will take over now, Jordan. Uh, the caravan's all yours, Sam. My job's done. Oh, a moment. Were there not 24 camels? Uh-uh. 23. Twenty. Perhaps a mistake in my figures. Oh, we all make mistakes. Indeed we do. Would you like to clear up one of your mistakes at this time, Jordan? What do you mean? After you left my office this morning, three pages were missing from the Tracus dossier. Well, Jordan? (laughs) You got me, Sam. Here they are. Thank you. I trust that you found them good reading? I didn't learn much. Jordan, I fear there are things that you will never learn. For example, when to leave well enough alone.
3: A short while later, I was at Sheldon's boat as the caravan slowly pulled onto the docks. Sheldon, Sam, and I watched from the deck as the last of the gum arabic was taken off the camels and loaded into the ship's hold. Well,
12: there it is, finally.
0: Yes, Mrs. Sheldon, and rest assured that we will continue in our efforts to find the raiders. Mm,
12: Small chance, but thanks for
0: everything, Captain. I will leave a detail of men on board for your protection until you clear Alexandria. And the best of luck, Mrs. Sheldon. Goodbye, Captain. Uh, coming, Jordan? Uh, not just yet, Sam. I'll see you in a minute.
1: Uh, <clears throat> As you wish.
12: Well, Rocky, it looks like I owe you some sort of an apology. I don't think so. I'll admit I didn't trust you very much.
3: Well, nobody expected you to. Anyhow, you're still out 6,000 pounds.
12: I'm not complaining. Wish you could come along. You'd
3: enjoy the trip. Yeah, wish I could, too.
12: A moment there, Jordan.
3: Oh, you want to see me, Hakkar?
0: Indeed I do.
3: There were 24 camel loads to be delivered. All right, what about it? Only 23 arrived here. That's all that showed up. Then where is the other camel? How should I know. 23, 24, what's the difference? The difference, you say? An entire load of gum arabic. So they held out on you. Go hunt it up if it means so much. Mr. Jordan, I demand an explanation.
11: Oh,
12: let it go, Hakar. We're lucky to get any of it back. But Jordan paid for all the camel loads, he said. We would not be cheated out of one. Forget it. We're not going to wait any around any longer got to get this load to my side. Do you mean to say you're going to let him get away I with... said forget it. I'm not giving word to shove off before anything more happens. I'll look you up when I get back, Rocky.
3: Jordan, uh, Jordan, a moment before you go down the gangplank. What are well, you so excited about, Huck? Huh? Excited? You're quite mistaken. I don't think so. I am certain that you know where the other ga- camel load is, Mr. Jordan. Yeah. What's there about the load that bothers you so much? Why, the gum Arabic, of course. You know, I don't think gum Arabic interests you at all. What do you mean? I think it's something else. These, maybe. Let me see. Sure, have a look. Diamonds? Uh, I don't touch. Where did you get them, Jordan? From inside the gum Arabic on the 24th camel. You will give them to me. Oh, I car. Are they yours? Did you hide them there? Jordan, listen to me. You masterminded quite a deal, didn't you? The phony Bedouin raid, the deal with me to return the stuff. So you could get a private police escort for your smuggled jewels right out of Egypt. There is no time to... You even killed your Confederate trucker so he wouldn't start talking. Did Sheldon know about this? Quickly before she retends. Yeah, I knew she didn't. Jordan, you're a smart man. I'll cut you in, I'll make you a deal. The other way around, Hakar, I got the jewels. All right, anything you say. First, you'll fork over Sheldon's 6,000 pounds, and these diamonds go to the police. I will have them, Jordan. Hakar lunged at me, and all at once, he was a wild man, fighting and clawing for the bag in my hand. The bag of my fist drove him away, but he was in again, pushing me to the rail. The next time I drove him back, his hand went for an inside pocket. That's when I got tired of the game. I moved in ahead with a gun and... His shot went wild. I locked his head in my arm, whirled, tossed him over my shoulder and over the rail. I waited for a splash that didn't come, and then I saw why. When I looked down, it was into the upturned, surprised face of Captain Sam Sabaya. Fez over one eye and what was left of an Egyptian cigarette dangling in his mouth. Lying at his feet where he had hit the dock was the crumbled body of Hakkar.
2: from Rocky Jordan in just a moment. After one of the summer's warmer days, Mrs. Thompson decided to have dinner out on the back patio.
14: Let's listen in for a moment. Hey, honey, this was a swell idea. A warm evening and a cool dinner out here in the patio. Thank you. And my favorite cold meats.
15: Well, help yourself, dear. There's meatloaf and ham and liverwurst. <laughs> well,
14: let me add it. And say, pass the catsup. the kind with that swell flavor I like.
15: You mean Del Monte ketchup. That's my good old standby, darling. I can always count on it for
14: a
12: special flavor treat.
2: Yes, you can count on Del Monte catsup, Mrs. Thompson, just as you depend on all Del Monte foods for flavor. Say, that Del Monte catsup has a zesty, spiced tomato goodness that just makes those low-cost foods come to life. You can count on the men folks asking for second helpings every time. Yes, Del Monte catsup is spiced tomato flavor at its best. A real pepper upper with meatloaf, beans, french fries, with any food that calls for catsup. Look for Del Monte catsup at your grocer's. Try it. Then, just like Tommy Thompson, you'll be saying, Pass the catsup. The kind with that swell flavor I like. The Del Monte catsup. Back now to Rocky Jordan.
3: The Pieces finally fell into place. Trakas and Hakkar had been in the smuggling job together. Their problem was to get the loot off the continent without police interference. So they engineered the phony Bedouin raid. And when the caravan was in their hands, they hid the diamonds inside one of the loads of gum arabic. Then they returned it with the promise of a police escort all the way out of Egypt. That was real clever, and it might have worked. Except that I got on to it when I read the papers from the Trakas dossier, found out what Sam's mm-hmms meant. The Trakas was best known as a jewel smuggler. And the fact that Trakas was last seen in Tanganyika meant just one thing. Diamonds. Well, after Sam had put her car away,
0: he me at my tambourine for coffee. Jordan, I still fail to understand what you see in Mrs. Sheldon. It's all a matter of taste, Sam. For instance, you make sweet syrup out of your coffee, but not me. Uh, will you uh, pass me the sugar, please? Sure. May I? Thank you. You realize, Jordan, that I had instructed my men to thoroughly search the Gom arabic on Sheldon's boat before it cleared Alexandria.
3: I didn't know, sir.
0: As I expected, the diamonds were all found there. They fortunately were not on the 24th camel. Oh, I took that chance. I knew that holding out one camel would make the real smuggler show his hand. I'm sure glad it was her car instead of Sheldon. Oh, one more thing, Jordan. About the diamonds.
3: You mean the ones I had?
0: Yes. I would like to see them. Oh, sure. Here you are. I'll come over. Diamonds, Jordan? These are nothing but rhinestones, practically worthless. That's right. I picked them up at the Five and Ten.
2: Finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products.
15: Del Monte Catsup and chili sauce, Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes, and Del Monte tomato juice.
2: Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane Novello as Sam Sabaya. Original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Rocky Jordan is produced and directed by Cliff Howell. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan, same time, same station. And the story is the Lady from Istanbul. Real roastin' ear flavor, matchless butter tenderness. That's Del Monte corn. One more good food from the brand that always puts flavor first. Packed in two styles golden cream style and golden whole kernel, Del Monte has that sweet country cream flavor that tastes so good. When you're shopping for corn, look for Del Monte first. Larry Thor speaking, Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: squinting down the gun barrel at my throat. I was wishing I'd taken Lefevre's advice and kept out of the whole deal. Then I saw his fingers start to tighten on the trigger, but all I could do was stand there, helpless, knowing that in one more second, death would be flying my way. (laughs)
14: New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective, starring Jeff Chandler. Michael Shane, reckless red-headed Irishman, is back again in his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call The Case of the Phantom Neighbor.
1: Hello.
15: Is this Michael Shane?
1: Yeah, who's this?
15: Ann Griffin, Mr. Shane.
1: Ann Griffin?
15: Yes, that's right. No, we've never met before. You don't know me and I don't know you. I'm in apartment 23 at the Bryant Arms and I'm sitting here all alone.
16: Oh, well, look. They
15: tell me I'm pretty, Mr. Shane. They say I have a nice personality. Huh? I wear clothes well. I can play the piano a little. What? I dance, swim, ride, play golf. All in all, I guess I'm a rather desirable person, Mr.
1: Shane. Look, so you're a real peachy kid. Do you have to wake me up in the middle of the night to tell me about I've it? I have
15: an awful lot to live for, haven't I, Mr. Sheen? I have a boyfriend named Tom and a car and everything a girl could want. Isn't that fine? Isn't that just fine? Aren't you glad for
1: me? Look, maybe you know what this is all about, but believe me, I don't. Unless it's someone's quaint idea of a joke. A joke? Yes, I suppose
15: it is a joke. A big one. Do so we both
1: laugh together, Mr. Shane? Oh, now look, let's both be calm. All I want to know is one simple thing, one little tiny thing. Why did you telephone me?
15: I picked your name out of
1: the book. Wasn't that nice of me, Mr. Shane? Because now you're lucky. Just think you'll be the first one to know. Know what? I, I just the man.
14: In a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Phantom Neighbor.
1: Well, I thought I'd heard just about everything But when a bitter young lady named Ann Griffin Telephoned me at 1 a.m. to tell me she'd just killed a man I felt like I'd just been slapped in the face with a wet towel I pulled on my clothes and beat it over to the Brian Arms The door to apartment 23 was unlocked I went in Ann Griffin was sitting in a chair staring at the wall On the floor at the other end of the room A man lay face down Dead
15: Hello, Mr. Shane. Hello, Ann. Thank you for coming. Who is he? Lyle Metcalf. What happened? I, I'm not sure.
1: What do you mean?
15: I, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's, he's dead. Dead.
1: No, no, no. Get a hold of yourself, Anne. I...
15: I guess I killed him. I... I didn't want to do anything like this. Anne, cut guess... it out. Yes.
1: Now look, I. I don't know what you expect me to do, but there's nothing I can do except call the police.
15: Mr. Shane, you. you probably won't believe this. I, I couldn't blame you, but deep inside, I can't believe I killed Lyle Metcalf. I, I can't believe it.
1: Now look, Ann, I. I want you to tell me everything that happened. Don't leave anything out.
15: I'll try to start from the beginning. This is Lyle Metcalf's apartment. I. I came to see him tonight.
1: He, your fiancé, a boyfriend? No.
15: Or... I see. He sent for me, and I. I had to come.
1: What time did you get here?
15: About eleven. Lyle insisted I have a drink with him, and I, I did. And then, then I started to feel very strange, sleepy and dizzy. I, I told him I wanted to walk around and get some fresh air. He didn't want me to leave, but I did anyway.
1: You think there was something in the drink? Well, there must have been. What time did you leave the apartment?
15: Oh, maybe twenty minutes after I arrived.
1: Well, that'd make it about eleven twenty. Okay, then what?
15: I, I'm not sure. I was in sort of a daze. I just. Wandered around, up one street and down another.
1: Now, look, try to remember what you did.
15: I. I, I can't. Did
1: you see anyone? Talk to anyone? I,
15: wait a minute. Yes, the coffee shop. I went in, I had a cup of coffee. Where was it? Uh. I don't remember.
1: Oh, fine. Anything else? Uh,
15: yes, there was a man. He. He told me his name. I can't remember it. Jimmy, or something like that.
1: You talked to him?
15: He talked to me. He followed me for a while and. I just kept walking. Then, then I didn't see him anymore. I came back here.
1: You don't know who he was or where he is, huh? No. Oh, great.
15: I I think... Oh, it's no use.
1: Yeah, I'm beginning to think you're right, Anne. but let's have the rest of the story. You came back here to the apartment.
15: Yes, it was a little before one.
1: You're sure of that?
15: I, I think I remember looking at my watch. You
1: think? Look, Anne. you've got to do better than think. Well,
15: I'm trying. I had a spitting headache. Yeah, yeah, I...
1: sure enough. All right, go ahead.
15: I opened the door and I... I walked in. That's it.
1: What do you mean, that's it?
15: Well, that's the last I can remember. What? Yes, everything just sort of went black. Then after a while, I realized I was lying on the floor with a gun in my hand. There in front of me was Lyle. He was dead.
1: Well, I don't know what to say, Anne. That's not exactly a convincing story. I know. Hey, hey, wait a minute. What is it? Look, did you telephone me as soon as you realized what had happened? Yes, why? You called me at a quarter after one. You probably didn't black out for more than a few minutes. that to make the time of death not more than half an hour ago. But Metcalf looks to me like he's been dead considerably longer than that.
15: What do you mean, Mr. Shane?
1: I don't know. Maybe nothing. I... Man, turn your head to the side a little. Huh? Turn it. Well, yeah, that's it. Hmm. What's the matter? It's sort of a welt behind your left ear.
15: Well, welt? Why... Yes, there
1: is. Any idea how you collected that?
15: No. I told you I had a spitting headache while I was wandering around the streets. I think I remember stumbling and falling once, but I'm not sure.
1: Well, it's just my luck to get mixed up with you, I guess. Of all the private detectives in New Orleans, you had to call me. What do you mean? I mean I could easily qualify for cluck of the year for doing what I'm about to do.
15: I I don't understand you. It's
1: not surprising. I'm not sure I do either. But come on. I'm going to report it to the police... and then you and I are going to try and find one of the people who saw you wandering around. Oh,
15: but Mr. Shannon... Yeah.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm just soft enough to hope there's a chance you didn't kill Metcalf after all. Sure, I should have had my head examined. But I called police headquarters, and then Ann and I started out. And it was a losing proposition. We wandered around for a while, and she did find the coffee shop where she'd been before... But according to the gent there, she only stayed long enough to discover that she didn't have a nickel with her, and then she beat it again. Which meant she had an alibi for exactly one minute of those two hours. We kept on a while longer, but I could tell none of the streets looked familiar to her.
15: I... I guess it's no use, Mr. Shane. I I don't remember anything around here. I think we might as well go back. Yeah. I want you to know how much I appreciate your help anyway, Mr. Shane.
1: If you could only remember more about this gent, Jimmy, you say was following you for a while. The guy who wanted to make a date. What did he look like?
15: Sort of tall and thin, I think. Oh. I know, Mr. Shane. I know it's not enough of a description to give you one chance in a million of finding him. What's the good of talking
1: anymore? Look, and before we go back, I want you to try just once more. Is there anything you haven't told me? Have you left out anything at all?
15: I don't think so. At least...
1: Not that I can remember. Well, okay, Ann, let's go back. We went back to the Bryant Arms, and neither of us was very talkative on the way. I opened the door to Apartment 23, and we went in. Metcalf's body was still on the floor, but the chair right beside him was now occupied. Hello, Shane. Oh, hello, the fever. Is Ann Griffin with you?
15: Yes.
1: This is Inspector Lefevre of Homicide, Ann. Yes. That
18: private eye badge getting a little heavy for you? What do you mean? I mean, maybe we could give you a lift and take it off your hands. Well, now, look, Lefevre, I reported the murder, didn't I? Yeah. And then you and Miss Griffin here decided to have an evening on the town, maybe.
7: Please. Look, Lefevre,
18: I was just I'll trying I'll save to... a chain. I want to question Miss Griffin first, but I'll get back to you again. You can count on it. <laughs>
1: Lefebvre questioned her, and she told him the same story she'd given me. About that time, the coroner arrived, and they took the body away. Finally, Lefebvre motioned to Sergeant Dykes to take Anne to headquarters. She got to the door with him, then she stopped.
15: Goodbye, Mr. Shane.
1: Goodbye, Anne.
15: Thank you. everything.
18: Okay, Shane, now let's have it. Let's have what? The reason you thought you had the right to start running this case. Oh, look, Lefevre, I wasn't trying to run the case. No, no, of course you weren't. You just waltzed off with the chief suspect, that's all, but you weren't trying to run the case. You weren't interfering
1: with the police at all. Oh, look, don't try to put anything like that on me. I reported the killing, I haven't withheld any evidence, and I brought your suspect back. Yeah, and you beat your deadline by exactly five minutes. My deadline? I had a warrant for your arrest in front of me. Next time I'll sign it, remember that. Okay, Lefevre, okay, so maybe what I did wasn't smart, but I think Ann's innocent. Yeah. Well, sure, her story sounds a little weak, but I think she's telling the truth. A little weak? Shane, a gentle breeze would blow that story over and nothing flat. But that part about going in a coffee shop's the truth. I talked to the guy... Oh, he... sure you did. She's got an alibi for one minute out of 120. And this guy who followed her, if we could find him, maybe...
18: Ah, uh, uh, Shane.
1: Look, what was the time of the death?
18: Well, we think between 11.30 and midnight.
1: But she said he followed her for quite a while. Maybe it was for that half hour. Maybe... Maybe there was no Jimmy at all, Shane. I think you're wasting your time. Look, Lefevre, I don't get hunches often, but I've never had a stronger one than this. Well, don't try to do business on hunches, Shane. You'll go broke fast. I tell you, Anne's innocent. I'm going to prove it to you.
15: Where is uh, he? Where is the policeman?
1: Well, I guess you mean me,
18: sister. Who are you?
15: I am Suzanne. Lyle Metcalfe, the one who was murdered. He was my man. Yeah. I said him take his body away. They told me what that happened.
18: All well, right, take it easy.
15: It was she who did it, that woman. But
18: Anne? How do you know?
15: I knew she was coming to see him tonight. I I waited outside. I watched her. She was coming to see my Lyle. I saw her arrive. Then she came outside and down the street. But five minutes later, she came back.
1: You're sure about that? Of
15: course I am sure. She went back into the apartment. She did not come out until the policeman brought her out a few minutes ago. She killed him. She killed my Lyle.
18: All right, Shane. Look, I... Like I say, you've been wasting your time. But maybe there's still a chance. Ah, No soap, Shane. It was a nice try, but you just lost yourself a client.
14: In a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Phantom Neighbor.
1: It all started when a girl named Ann Griffin called me over to Lyle Metcalf's apartment a little after 1 a.m., there was Metcalf dead, and Anne pretty hazy as to whether she'd killed him or not. I'd tried to sell Inspector Lefevre on the possibility that Anne was innocent. About then, the dead man's girlfriend, Suzanne, came barging in and said Anne had only been gone from Medcalf's apartment five minutes instead of two hours, all of which cut the ground right out from under my feet. Well, I left and started back to my office, but I hadn't gotten very far before a very rugged-looking guy colored me. Just a uh, minute, Shane. Now, who are you? Get your hands off on okay, me. Okay, private eye, open up. I said get your hands off me. Who are you, anyway? Tom Harris. Ann Griffin's my girl. Uh, well, so I still don't see where you get off shoving me around. I want to know who put you up to it. Who's paying you? What are you talking about? Paying me for what? For hanging this frame on Ann. Frame? Are you by any chance talking about the Metcalf killing? You know that's what I'm talking about. And the way it looks to me, somebody hired you to drag her into it. Oh, get this, Harris. I've spent most of the night getting my neck in a sling with the cops while I wandered around with your girlfriend trying to find an alibi for her because I believed she was innocent. Huh? Right up until a witness told us Ann was lying. So I'm in no mood to listen to you sound off about something you don't know anything about. Wait, wait a minute. You were trying to help Ann. What did you think I was doing? Trying to see how mad I could get the cops at me? Well... Look, Shane, I guess I got a couple of things wrong. And I guess you have, brother, so if you'll just get out of my way before I... Well, I'm sorry. I,
2: I guess, well, the whole thing has sort of knocked me for a loop. Hey,
1: wait a minute. You said something about a witness contradicting Ann's story? That's right. What? I can't believe it. I can't... Ann w- Trouble Ann... is, Harris, right now the cops do believe it.
2: Well, Mr. Shane, I don't know what Ann was doing in Metcalf's
1: apartment. I don't intend to ask her, but I do intend to stick with her. Yeah, I think you better, because it looks very much like Ann's going to need all the support she can get. I left him standing there looking slightly sick, and I went home to bed. I was going to forget the whole thing. Matter of fact, I spent the rest of the night trying. I tried right up until the time I walked into Lefevre's office at 9 a.m., now, Shane, don't tell me that you still Look, think... Look, Lafie, this Viva, all I want to do is ask a couple of questions. Okay. Ask. Who was Lyle Metcalf and what did he do for a living? He was a gambler.
18: Incidentally, he was killed with his own
1: gun. Oh? Well, who'd he run around with?
18: The usual crowd. Eddie Zernio, a couple of lesser lights.
1: Eddie Zernio, huh? Mm.
18: Nice boy. Yeah. Rumor is that Metcalf had been pretty lucky lately.
1: You win him big, huh? Anyone know who he'd won from and whether he'd been able to collect? No. Well, look, maybe that could add something to do with it. Maybe somebody paid off Metcalf with a slug instead of those. Someone like Xernio. Well,
18: that's a pretty theory, Shane, but it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Ann Griffin's our number one suspect. Okay, but
1: maybe you won't mind if I sort of nose around a little. Still wasting your time, huh? No, I don't mind. Thanks, Lefebvre. Just put it down. I happen to have a little time to waste. My first stop was at Eddie Zerniel's, Metcalf's gambler friend. Zerniel was alone at his desk with a polite smile on his face and a coin in his hand. Call it, Shane. Heads. Tails. Tails it is. Lyle Metcalf got himself killed last night, Zerniel. Or maybe you already knew that. Call it. Tails. Heads. I read the paper, Shane. Metcalf, a uh, friend of yours? Heads. Tails.
16: You don't call him so hard, do you? Maybe I'll get better. Hmm. I asked you if Metcalf was a friend of yours. I already told two cops he was. So I tell you two. Metcalf was a friend of mine. That make you happy? Heads. How can you be so
1: wrong so often, Shane? Tails. Metcalf owe you dough, Zerniel, or was it the other way around? I owe him, though. Oh? Yeah,
16: two bits. That sounds like a good reason for killing him. Tails. Well, you're consistent, Shane. You call him wrong every time. Maybe that means you should quit trying to call him at all. Get it?
1: Yeah. On the other hand, maybe it means you should quit using that second coin you've been hiding in your hand. Get it? Well, aside from a lesson in coin flipping, I'd gotten nothing from Zernio. I went over to Metcalf's apartment and wandered around for a while. Just about to give up and leave when it hit me. I'd been in his bedroom, and all of a sudden I realized I'd been staring out the window. What was outside was a narrow air shaft, and four feet away was another window. The apartment on the other side of the building that backed up to the air shaft. I stared across the shaft, but there was no sign of life in the other apartment. I beat it down to the manager, but it got me Nothing. The apartment had been vacant for three weeks. Well, about then, my head was feeling very bruised from the stone wall treatment. I started down the hall of the apartment house, turned the corner toward the front door, and ran right into Lyle Metcalf's girlfriend, Suzanne. Oh. Well, well, what are you doing around here, Suzanne?
15: Do I live here.
1: Here, in this apartment
15: house? What is wrong with that?
1: Nothing. What apartment do you live in?
15: Twenty-six. Now, I must go. Get out of my way. Twenty-six. That's
1: around the corner from Medcap's apartment. Why? Incidentally, there's something I wanted to ask you about the story you told Inspector Lefebvre last night. I have night.
15: nothing more to say. You
1: told him you've been watching Medcap's apartment all evening. Where were you watching it from? Oh, let me Where were you? My
15: apartment. Now, let go of no, me. Oh, no.
1: You can't see Medcap's apartment from yours.
15: No, I mean it was from the street. Oh, no I'm... soap,
1: Suzanne. The cop on the beach said there was nobody outside.
15: I mean that I Yeah, must...
1: yeah. You were lying, Suzanne. No,
15: I tell you, I saw... You're a... lying
1: weren't in any place where you could watch Medcalf's apartment. I say,
15: let go of you know, me. You have
1: no right to. I've even got it figured out why you were lying. You knew Anne was coming to see your boyfriend. You got jealous. You figured you'd try to hang it on her if you could, right? I. I
15: have nothing more to say to you.
1: Eh. Yeah. Uh, Lefevre. Shane, you're a big bully. Look, did you hear what Suzanne just admitted, Lefevre? She was lying when she said Anne was only away from Medcalf's apartment five minutes. Yeah.
18: You probably caught her off guard with all that fast talk of yours and the bluff about the cop on the beat. Well,
1: then that ought to prove it. It proves Suzanne was
18: lying, Shane, that's all. But just. Shane, look. Anne still doesn't have any more of an alibi for those two hours than she did before. Now, if you can turn one up, good. I'll give it
1: a listen. But don't bother coming around unless you can. All of which left me no better off than before. Obviously, the only alibi Anne could possibly hope for was the tall, thin gent Jimmy, who'd followed her around for a while trying to get a date with her while she was out walking. But I'd realized a long time ago that the odds against finding this Jimmy were just about a million to one. So, by the time I got back to my office and pushed to open the door, I couldn't have been feeling any lower. I started for my desk, but the chair was already occupied.
16: Well, you're Shane, aren't you?
1: Yeah, who are you? Name's Jimmy you believe in making yourself at home or a... Wait a minute. Let's have that again. I said my name's Jimmy. Oh, no. It just couldn't be. Sure. I'm the guy who followed Ann Griffin around the streets last night. Well, I'll be... So I break my neck trying to find you, finally give up, and you walk right into my office. I read in the papers what
16: the girl said about a tall, thin guy named Jimmy following around. She's right. It was me. So I thought I'd better show up, help her out. Hey, look you have
1: any idea how long you were following her around?
16: Sure. From a little after 11 till past 12. Are you sure about that? Sure.
1: I'd stop her and talk to her a while,
16: and she'd start walking again. I finally gave up. I figure when it's that tough to
1: get a date, it ain't worth it. From a little after 11 until past 12. Yeah, that does it. Does what? It covers Ann for the time of the killing. Oh, brother, you don't know how glad I am you dropped in. You've done a lot more than just help, Ann. You've saved a life. Jimmy and I headed for police headquarters. He told his story to LaFevre, and 20 minutes later, Anne was out of jail. Her boyfriend, Tom Harris, called for her, and it looked like my job was just about over. Come on, dear, I'll take you home.
15: Never mind, Tom, I'll just get a taxi back to my apartment.
1: Well, look, it's late. Please, I...
15: Tom, I'd just rather be alone for a while.
16: Oh, well, sure, Ann, Okay.
15: Mr. Shane, after everything you've done for me, saying just thank you is so inadequate. Thank you.
2: Sure. You probably think I'm a prize heel, Shane, for acting the way I did after Anne was arrested. I can understand how you felt, Harris. You know, I'm really not such a bad guy when you get to know me. Oh, glad to hear it. And if there's anything I can ever do, well, you know. Yeah.
15: Well, I, uh, I kind of like to get back to my apartment. I'm just a little tired. Goodbye, Mike, and...
1: Bye. So long, Ann. Tom put her in a taxi, and then he got in his car and drove away. I just stood there in the shadows, feeling tired, being glad that Ann was in the clear. I was just about to start for my car when a black coupe passed by, going slow. It looked like the coupe was following Ann's taxi. The guy in the coupe was Jimmy, the witness who'd cleared her a few minutes ago. All of a sudden, I got a real shaky feeling about Ann. I got in my car and followed Jimmy. He pulled up in front of Ann's apartment and went inside. Two minutes later, I followed. I climbed the stairs, went down the hall, and stopped in front of Ann's door. I could hear voices. Then I heard Ann say, it's all I've got right now. I opened the door fast. There were Ann and Jimmy, and Ann had some money in her Mr. hands. Shane, what are you doing to you? Well, well, so it's payoff off time. Hey, Ann? Mr. Shane, Congratulations, I... baby. You had me fooled, but good.
15: Oh, I know what you're thinking, but you're you wrong. You really
1: made a sucker out of me. So you're the one who owed Metcalf, though. You killed him, then hired Jimmy here to be your alibi. That's
15: not true. You've got to believe me. No. Look,
16: baby, it doesn't matter whether Shane believes you or not. He's checking out as of now. Huh? Yeah. I got a real nice setup here, Shane. You and nobody else is going to spoil it for me. This gun is going to make sure you don't. Right now.
14: moment, we'll be back with a thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure.
1: Well, there I was, in Ann Griffin's apartment, with Jimmy, the bought-and-paid-for witness, squinting down the barrel of a gun at me. I was wishing I'd taken Lefevre's original advice and kept out of the whole deal. I saw Jimmy's fingers start to tighten on the trigger, but all I could do was stand there and then... <gasps> hey. Hey. hey, what happened? Somebody shot Jimmy!
15: Mr. Shane, the door behind you! Huh? Tom!
1: Yeah. Tom. Wait a minute. I I don't get it. I was
15: trying to tell you, Mr. Shane, it's Tom. Tom is the killer. What? I just found out a couple of minutes ago. Now, look, she's
1: right, Shane. My dear little Anne is right. So you're the one who owed Metcalf the dough, Harris.
15: I didn't know that then, Mr. Shane. When Metcalf called me, he told me Tom was in trouble with him, and I could help by coming to Metcalf's apartment, but... Then when he put something in my drink, I knew I had to get out of there in a hurry.
1: Wait a minute. I I don't quite get where this guy Jimmy fitted into the deal.
15: He followed me while I was walking around. That was the truth. But what I didn't know was he followed me back to Metcalf's apartment. He started to leave, but then he saw someone crawling across the air shaft out of Metcalf's apartment. Namely me. Well, I guess when Jimmy read the newspaper the next morning, he could piece together what had happened. He, He was afraid to try to blackmail Tom. So
1: instead he got you released from jail so he could blackmail you, huh?
15: I didn't know what to say when he came to me just a few minutes ago. I thought if I could stall him... Yes, that...
1: my dear, and speaking of stalling, there's been a little too much already. Well, Harris, it was a pretty workable idea, wasn't it? You watched Metcalf's apartment from across the air shaft. When Anne left, you crawled across and killed Metcalf. Then when Anne came back, you knocked her out and put the gun in her hand. Look, I said there'd be no more stalling. You know, Harris, you told me a little while ago you weren't such a bad guy when I got to know Don't you. Don't come any closer, Shane. You were right. You're a real keen kid. Framing your sweetheart for a murder you'd committed. Get back, Shane. Get back. He was still standing in the doorway with the door half open. It was now or never. I dove in low, hit the door, and it crashed into his gun arm. The slug whistled past my left ear. I brought my fist up and connected with the gun. Flew out of his hand and across the room. He turned and ran down the hall. I pounded after him. He went down the stairs three at a time and increased his lead. Then just as he got to the bottom and headed for the front door, a foot shot out of the shadows and hooked his ankle. He spread-eagled in the air, came down hard and lay still. Uh, Lefevre.
18: He was really in a hurry, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah, he had good cause to be.
18: Well, it just goes to show you, Shane, never hurry. Harris probably got a broken nose right now because of that.
1: Yeah, that'll be the least of his worries from now on. He's your killer, Lefebvre. Well, now, that's real interesting. Anything in the way of proof? Yeah, but why don't you find out for yourself? What do you mean? Well, after all, I'm just a guy who's been trying to run the case, interfering with police, and wasting my time, remember? Oh, now, look, So Shane. just go right ahead. Shane, Me, you... I've got some more time to waste. This time, it's going to be in bed. Shane! Good night, dreamboat. This is your director Bill Russo again Our story is based on characters created by
14: Brett Halliday and written by Bob Wright The music is composed and conducted by John Duffy And Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chan The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production Transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild
8: And now, for the very best in organ playing music, and I believe that this is done by a woman playing the organ. I think she was on Yesterday USA recently, or some time back, where she demonstrated some of her famous introductions she did. I think one of them was Boston Blackie, because she played on the East Coast, and Boston Blackie was basically... Recorded in the East Coast, on the East Coast side, the right side of the country, and as opposed to the left side of the country. So anyway, this is the very best organ playing music you will ever, ever hear from an old-time radio show. Applaud this woman for doing such a great job playing this organ. And then... Listen to Boston Blackie from December sixth, nineteen forty five. Jewel Thief Atkins.
10: A pile of blocks, baby, but be careful you don't make it too high. Oh, you knocked it over. That wasn't very nice.
19: Well, I'm leaving, Mabel.
10: I hope you have everything in that suitcase. I don't want you coming back.
19: Fine wife, you are. The doc and his wife fire me and you ask if you can stay to take care of that kid. Why I don't break your neck, I don't know.
10: Oh, please leave me. You're upsetting the baby.
19: Don't worry,
17: I'm not going to hit Mabel again. Here. Here's your salary. Now get out or I'll have the doctor come upstairs. Here's your money, Robert.
19: Keep your money. What's a few dollars to me when I'm worth 25000 Oh, are you? Well, I'm going to be as soon as I sell that pearl necklace of yours.
17: My necklace is in the safe right here. least it was half hour ago, I saw it. And you haven't been out of the house all morning. You can't
19: have it. <laughs> Open the safe and see, Mrs. Williams.
17: That's exactly what I'm doing.
19: Never mind the combination. It's already open. Bob, did you open that safe? Sure, I did. And I took out the pearls. Are they there, Mrs. Williams?
17: No. No, the pearls weren't there. But this gun was. And you're going to stand right where you are, Robert, until the police get
19: here. Sure, sure. Call the police, Mrs. Williams. But I'll tell you something. I've got your necklace, but the cops can search me and this house from top to bottom and never find it.
7: It's summer money time Yes, it's summer money time Come to beneficial now It's summer money time
20: Right now, it's summer money time at Beneficial Finance Company. Get the cash you want for a wonderful vacation, to clean up leftover bills, or for any good reason. You'll find the service just a little faster, just a little friendlier. And you get this beneficial extra, your own international credit card. Good for cash wherever you go. Cash,
19: just say the word, you're the boss at Beneficial.
7: it's summer money time.
21: And now meet Dick Colmer as Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friend.
20: All right, clear your throat now, Blackie, and try your voice. <coughs> oh, wait a minute now. Wait, another <coughs> spray or two and then try it.
22: Because...
20: All right now. Blackie. I I think this will be be all right now, Dr. Williams. It should be, Blackie. I haven't used it for two weeks.
4: Uh, Say, this is the day I've been waiting for. May I use your phone? Of course.
20: Use the one on the right. The other phone connects with my apartment upstairs.
4: This is what you really call a home office, huh?
20: (laughs) You could put your voice to better use than that, Blackie.
4: I'm going to put it to a great use, Dr. Williams. I'm going to phone Inspector Faraday and really tell him off.
20: Oh, excuse me. Here's my apartment calling. Yes?
10: Dr. Williams, this is Mabel.
20: Yes, Mabel. What is it? Something the matter with the baby?
10: Dr. Williams, call the police right away. What? Bob, my husband has stolen Mrs. Williams' pearl necklace, and she's holding him here with a gun.
20: I'll be right upstairs. I'll call the police from there. Come on, Blackie, upstairs. What's the matter? My wife's pearl necklace has been stolen. Just call the police
4: doctor. Have them look for it. But... If Inspector Faraday finds out I was upstairs in your apartment a few minutes ago, he won't look for the pearls. He'll look for me. So long.
19: All right. Let's tear this room apart if we have to. We'll find that necklace for you, Mrs. Williams. Now, this is the last room in the house. It has to be in here. Keep looking, Rollins. Yes. You didn't find anything on Robert, Inspector? No, not a thing, Dr. Williams. He's in the next room putting his clothes on. Say, do you know who Robert Atkins is? Oh, no. One of the most famous jewel thieves in the country. Yes, yes. But this time, you don't have anything on me, Copper. I'm getting out of here.
22: Not a thing in this room, Inspector.
19: It's bound to be in here, Rollins. Keep looking. Okay. Inspector, Robert here hasn't been out of the house today.
20: The jewels were in the safe this morning. The necklace must be somewhere
19: in this house. I know that, Doctor. But tell me where I haven't searched in this house and that's where you'll find the stolen pearls (coughs) Stolen, Inspector You mean missing, don't you? Stolen You admitted you stole them, didn't you? Not to you, I didn't And until you can prove I took them, those pearls are just missing And you're gonna have to let me go Go ahead, Atkins Beat it I know you don't have the pearls on you So you're not getting away with a thing Don't be too sure I'm plenty sure I'm sure those pearls are still in this house And I'm gonna put a police guard on duty here to make sure you never get back in to pick him up. I'll scram. With pleasure. With
17: pleasure. Inspector, you shouldn't have let him go.
19: I had to let him go, Mrs. Williams. I have nothing on him. But don't worry. I won't let him out of sight. Hey, Rollins. Yes, sir. You and Thompson Trail Atkins. One of you keep an eye on him all the time.
22: You bet, Inspector. Come on, Thompson. We don't want
20: him to Inspector get Faraday. Yes, Inspector. If Robert hasn't walked out with those pearls, if he couldn't have
19: taken them out of the house this morning,
20: if they're still in this house, where are they?
19: If I could answer that one, Dr. Williams, I'd quit the force and work on quiz programs.
10: Oh, excuse me, I thought everyone had
17: gone. No, Mabel. Robert is gone. He didn't have the pearls. Oh, I'm so glad.
10: He was lying then, wasn't he?
19: No, Mrs. Atkins. I don't think he was lying. As I told you before, I think he stole those pearls. And I think you're in on the scheme with him.
10: Oh, please, Inspector. Just because I married a thief... That doesn't mean I'm one, too You know Mabel doesn't have a necklace, Inspector
17: what? You had to make him search her and she found nothing
19: Yeah, I know that That's all I do know Atkins took those pearls He hasn't got them His wife here should know where they are She says she doesn't uh, what a mess There's only one thing missing from this case Hello, Inspector
4: Faraday
19: Uh-huh Here's that one thing Flanky, what are you doing here? I came to
4: see Dr. Williams, but one look at your face convinces me you need a doctor more than I do.
17: Hello, Blackie. Blackie,
4: how are you? Hello, Mrs. Williams. Hello, Doctor. Well, now that Faraday's here, what else has been
19: stolen? How'd you know anything was stolen here, Blackie? I heard it over the radio, so I thought I'd come over and solve the whole case for you, Inspector. Well, go back and listen to your radio again. Maybe you'll hear of a case in South America.
4: I'm interested only in your cases, Faraday, the ones that are never solved until I come along.
19: Uh, Well, you can get along this time, because this one is already solved. Mama Batkin stole those pearls. Can you prove it? Can I prove it? Can I prove it? Why... No.
4: (laughs) All right, Faraday. Where do you want me to begin?
19: Begin by going out the door and end by staying out of my way. And leave you muddled up in the middle?
4: Oh, nothing doing.
20: I couldn't do that to you or my conscience.
10: Please, please, not so loud. The baby doesn't like it.
20: Mabel, I think you'd better take Carolyn inside.
10: Yes, Dr. Williams, right away.
19: Now, let's see. Where were we? Getting nowhere, I'm afraid, Blackie. Well, I'm getting somewhere. Out of here. And you get out of this case, Blackie. You know what I'll get out of it, Faraday. The solution. And my own personal satisfaction. Uh, don't pay any attention to anything he says, Mrs. Williams. But, uh... Now, uh, I'm leaving a policeman and a matron here to search everybody every time they go out of this house. Those pearls are still here. And somebody's trying to get them out. We understand, Of course. I'm going back to headquarters until I hear from the men trailing at him. I'll be in touch with you as soon as I know something. All right, Inspector. Thanks, Mrs. Williams.
17: Thanks. Blackie, for what?
4: For not telling Faraday that I was up here this morning, just before you missed the
20: pearls.
17: Why, you know, I just didn't think of it. Or I would have told him, I guess. Oh, there's the doorbell. Mabel? Yes, Mrs. Williams. Can you answer the door, please? Yes, ma'am.
20: You know, I think Faraday made a mistake, Blackie. Atkins took those pearls out of here when the inspector let him go. I doubt it. The police
4: searched them, and they're very thorough. Mrs.
10: Williams. Yes, Mabel. Uh, Mr. Horace Spalding to see you uh, from the insurance company. Oh, yes. We've been expecting him.
17: It's you? That will be all, Mabel. Yes. I'm Mrs. Williams, Mr. Spalding. Oh, well, how do you do, Mrs. Williams? Uh, this is my husband. How do you how do, you do And uh, this is Boston Blackie. How, how do I... you
22: do? That uh, was quite a valuable necklace you lost, Mrs. Williams. You have it insured with my company for $50,000. And it's really more valuable than that. Yes, I know. So suppose we get right to work and see if we can't find it.
17: The police think our handyman, Robert, took it. But nothing was found on him.
22: I'll get my report on him directly from the police, Mrs. Williams. But can you tell me who was in the house at the time the robbery was discovered?
17: Well, Robert and his wife, Mabel, were here. I was, of course, and my husband was downstairs in his office with Boston Blackett. Oh, Oh, Blackie, I'm so sorry.
22: Austin Blackie, huh? Hmm. It seems to me that name has appeared in connection with several jewel robberies. Arrests, but no convictions, Spaulding. <laughs> There's always a first time, you know. Uh, you'll hear from me later, Mrs. Williams. And, uh, Blackie, I think perhaps you will, too. <laughs>
19: Inspector Faraday speaking.
22: Inspector, this is Horace Spaulding of the National Insurance
19: Company. Oh, yes, Spaulding. Uh, Did you get my report on the Williams Jewel robbery?
22: Yes, thanks. Just arrived. Your men are still trailing Robert Atkins?
19: Uh, Yes, I just heard from them. Atkins hasn't made a suspicious move yet, but give him time, he will.
22: Do you think you have the right man?
19: Well, I don't have the proof yet, but... uh, I'll give you a little
22: tip, Inspector. Yeah, what? It's just possible that Dr. and Mrs. Williams are crying wolf for the insurance company.
19: Uh Uh-huh. You may have something there. I think I'll follow that up. Say, um, that necklace was insured for plenty, wasn't it?
22: 50,000.
19: Well, maybe they did rob themselves. So I'm going out to see them about that.
22: Now you know who I'm going to see?
19: No, Who? Austin Blackie. Oh, no. no, he's not mixed up in this. He can't be.
22: He might be, Inspector, because he was in the house when Mrs. Williams discovered the robbery. I think maybe that's something you want to know.
19: Something? When Blankey's at the scene of a crime, that's all I want to know.
4: Oh, well, that's fine, Mary. Well, I have some work to do right here in my apartment, so phone me here as soon as you're through, huh? Okay, goodbye.
22: Come in. Mind a visitor, Blackie.
4: No, not at all, especially one I've been expecting, like you. How's the insurance business, Mm Pauling? Picking up. Picking up what? Clues?
22: And people who steal pearl necklaces, we insure. Subtle, aren't you? Blackie. I'm convinced that there's more than one person involved in the theft of the Williams Pearls. I'm sure Atkins isn't working alone. Excuse me. Keep the conversation short, will you? I don't have too much time. Hello?
17: Blackie, this is Peggy Williams. Oh, yes. Blackie, I want to apologize for telling that insurance agent you were here.
4: Oh, that's all right. I would have told him myself sooner or later.
17: He'll be coming to see you, I guess.
4: I know that. He's here right now.
22: You mean he was, yeah?
4: Hey, Spaulding, wait a minute.
17: He's there now, Blackie?
4: Well, he was, but all of a sudden he just walked out the door. I wonder why. Well, I don't know, but I, I think I'd better go out and try to catch him. I think he knows something. About the girls? Well, he seems to have some theory about uh, how they were taken and uh, who took them. All I could get out of him was a word or two. Blackie,
17: you. you really think he knows who
4: took them? I'm going out and try to catch him in the hall and find out. I'll call you back. Goodbye. Bye. Now, what made him leave like that? Hey, Spaulding! What? Wow. They say dead men tell no tales. And you're not going to be an exception to the rule, are you? Uh oh, the elevator.
19: Hello, Blanky.
4: Goodbye, Faraday.
19: Who's that on the floor, Blanky? What's the matter with him?
4: That's Spaulding, the insurance detective. And there's nothing wrong with him that a little light wouldn't cure.
19: You did it, Blanky, enough. I... Hey, what's the idea of pulling
4: out a gun? Why, Inspector? Make sure you don't bother me while I fall out of here right now. <laughs>
21: ...to Boston Blackie. Blackie is in trouble with the police. He's suspected of stealing a $50,000 pearl necklace... ...and accused of killing the insurance agent investigating the case. So far, Faraday has been able neither to catch Blackie... ...nor find the missing pearls... ...which Bob Atkins said he stole. But the police cannot find the necklace so Atkins is a free man although he is being shadowed by the police Faraday however is turning most of his attention on Blackie who as we return to our story is in the basement workshop of Dr. Williams whose home the necklace was stolen
4: You look pretty good with the hammer and nails Dr. Williams <laughs> Well carpentry is
20: my hobby Blackie I've uh, I've made most of the baby's toys down here you know Wagon or building squares That, uh, string of blocks she plays with all the time And and her toy box Uh Uh-huh And this, uh, believe it or not, this is going to be a dollhouse someday (laughs) (laughs) Say, look, Blackie, maybe you shouldn't be here
4: Oh, it's safe for the moment I locked Faraday in my apartment before I left
20: It should take him a while to get out who murdered that fellow Spaulding, Blackie?
4: Ask Faraday, and he'll
20: tell you why I did. Well, now, look, if he thinks that, I don't see how you got away from him.
4: Oh, well, it was very simple. I found Spaulding dead in the hall. The minute Faraday stepped out of the elevator, I pulled a gun on him, backed him into a closet in my apartment, locked the door, and beat him.
20: Oh. Well, uh, how are you going to get away from him the second
4: time? I'm going to make sure that there isn't any second time. I think we'd better tell Mrs. Williams or the baby's nurse to warn us if Faraday shows up, though.
20: Oh, the uh, the nurse went out about an hour ago and hasn't come back yet. Harry. Oh, I... Harry, come up
7: here quickly.
20: It's my wife upstairs. Come on. Right with you, Doctor. Yeah, this way, up these stairs. Okay. I'm right with you. Peggy? Peggy, where are you? What's the matter? What's wrong? I'm in here. Harry, look. Look at poor Mabel. Come
10: on. Harry, I'm in so much trouble. Mabel,
20: what happened to you?
10: It's Bob.
4: You saw him, Mabel? Where?
10: Just a few blocks from here. I met him on the street. Tried to force me to go with him. When I wouldn't, he hit me and knocked me down.
4: He wanted you to go with him? Where? I
10: don't know. He didn't say. But he got away from the policemen who were trailing him. And he's leaving town on the five o'clock train.
17: Leaving
4: town. And that means he has the pearls. He wouldn't leave without them. Where's the phone? On
17: that desk there, Blackie. What are you going to do, Blackie?
4: Phone Faraday. This is something he ought to know. Uh,
20: Look, wouldn't Faraday already know us? He's supposed to have men treadling Atkins.
4: Could be, but Atkins is no fool. According to Mabel, he took them hours ago.
20: Well, if Atkins got away from Faraday's men, maybe he killed that insurance agent.
4: I've thought that for some time.
17: Mabel, I think you'd better come upstairs with me and let me fix those cups. All right, Mrs.
4: Williams, thank you very much. Hello, Faraday speaking. Inspector, this is Blackie.
19: Stay where you are, Blackie. You're under arrest.
4: And you're under delusions, Inspector. Where are you? Never mind where I am. I just called you to tell you that Robert Atkins is leaving on the 5 o'clock train. He's going to catch that train unless you go down to the station and catch him.
19: I told you when you brought me in your office, Inspector Faraday, you wouldn't find the pearls on me. That's right, Atkins, so I didn't. But we'll find them in that suitcase of yours. You have to have some reason for trying to get on that five o'clock train. Well, sure, I had a reason. I needed a vacation. And I don't like to be yanked off trains. I could sue you for false arrest for this. Uh, you'll sue me from jail, then. And, and maybe the warden will be your lawyer. Yeah, Rollins? No luck, Inspector. What do you mean, no luck? We tore this guy's suitcase into little pieces and no necklace. Well, I'll be. You'll be seeing me, Inspector. Wait a minute, Atkins. What for? You don't have anything on me. Did you ever hear of a guy named Horace Spaulding? No. You know he was murdered earlier this afternoon? No. But I think you know him. And I think you killed him. You don't hold me for what you think. Now, let me tell you something. I've been nice about this so far. You've tried to arrest me twice, and I haven't squawked. So? Now, get this and get it straight. You lay a hand on me once more, and I'll go straight up to the D.A. And you'll go straight back to pounding a beat. <laughs>
4: stand it, Dr. Williams. Atkins didn't take those pearls out of his house. They're, well, they're still here somewhere.
7: But
20: where, Blackie? The police searched everywhere, and so have we. Faraday said on the phone he had to let Atkins go again. Yes, Yes, and poor Mayboy. I had to warn her to be careful when she went out. Mm. She got one beating from her husband. I'm just afraid if they meet again, she'll get another.
4: You're right. She's in the spot.
20: I don't imagine she'll feel safe until Faraday does put her husband in jail.
4: Well, I won't feel safe till we tag Spaulding's killer and find those pearls.
20: Lucky, you really think those pearls are in this house?
4: Well, they, they haven't taken out a policeman and a police matron such as everyone who goes out of the house, don't they?
20: I know I'm searched every time I go out on a call. And your wife and Mabel, too. Yes, every one of us, every time we go out. Oh,
10: Dr. Williams, I'm taking Carolyn out for a walk in the park.
20: Oh, all right, Mabel, but don't keep her
4: out too long.
10: No, I won't.
4: Uh, Wait a minute, Mabel, Uh, I'll go to the door with you.
10: That won't be necessary. I want to talk to you. Oh.
4: I'll be right back, Doctor. Take your time. Bye-bye. Mabel, I know it's a relief to you to know your husband isn't in jail, but... By the same token, don't you think it's unsafe for you to go out walking?
10: Why is it?
4: Well, he's still under suspicion, you know. He's being watched by the police. If you happen to meet him again, the police might begin to suspect you, too.
10: I'm not worried about that. How can I have the pearls? I was just searched by the matron.
4: Mabel, you're in trouble, do you know it?
10: No, I don't.
4: Well, you are. And I'd like to help you.
10: I don't want your help, thank you. Why not? You're in trouble with the police yourself. Am I? You were found with that insurance man's body, and you pulled a gun on that police inspector. If I'm seen with you, it'll really get me in trouble with the police.
4: All right, Mabel. Don't say I didn't offer.
10: Maybe you'll end up needing help from me. Ever think of that?
4: No, I don't like unpleasant
20: thoughts.
10: Then let's forget the whole thing. Come on, baby. (coughs)
20: Ah, oh, what was that all about, Blackie?
10: Oh, nothing,
4: Dr. Williams. Say,
20: look. Isn't that a police car pulling up in front of the house?
4: not only a police car, it's Faradays. Oh, and he's getting out of it. And I'm getting out of here.
10: Oh, you like it in the park, don't you, Carolyn? Oh, you saw that squirrel, didn't you? Well, maybe there's a pigeon over there by those bushes. What? Shall we go see? Go,
7: go! The
19: bird you're looking for is right here, honey.
10: Oh, Bob, you scared me. How's everything? Wonderful, darling. It's worked, hasn't it? Oh, it
4: sure has, honey. You mean it uh, almost worked, honey. Blanky! Yes, Bob? I've got a small gun and a great desire to use it if you two don't behave. What do you want? You and Mabel back in the house. What for? To see an inspector about an inspection. <laughs> Both of you. Blackie. Blackie, I'm looking for you. Well, stop it, will you? Or I'll get self conscious. Go on, Bob. Mabel, into the room now. All right, all right. What are you doing with Atkins, Blackie? I don't have anything on him. No, Faraday, but I do. And on his charming wife, too. He's lying. You want to hear my lies, Faraday?
19: No. All I want is you. Why, Faraday, how you talk. All right. So I want those stolen pearls, too. And you're going to deliver the pearls, huh? Yes, I'm going to deliver the pearls, huh? Well, let's see you do it. Watch closely, Faraday. To
4: recover the pearl necklace, I first have to steal a wooden necklace. A baby carol
10: here. Don't take away your but necklace, you'll cry.
4: Faraday is going to cry much louder in a minute.
10: Well...
4: I'll give this back to you, Karen. Oh, this is crazy. That's a good girl, Carolyn. Now, don't cry. Don't cry. Wonderful way I have with children, isn't it? Give that string of blocks back to the baby. In a second. Right after I pull the string of pearls out of it.
20: What? Well, Well, that's it. That's
19: the necklace. Well, how did it get in there?
4: Simple. Atkins used some of the doctor's tools to hollow out the inside of the wooden necklace. Then he strung the pearls inside it. His plan was to leave the house and then pick up the necklace when his wife took the baby for a walk in the
19: park. Well, what do you know? Okay, I'm taking Atkins and his wife in for attempted robbery. Don't move, either of you. But, Blanky, I'm taking you in for murder. You're
4: being taken in by murder, Faraday. Don't you know who really killed Spaulding?
19: I think Atkins did. No, that's impossible. I thought that once, but when I checked, I found out Atkins was across town having lunch when Spaulding was killed. Thanks for that information, Faraday. Just proves how right
4: I was about who did the killing. Mabel. What? You said you were bruised and cut this noon because your husband beat you. That's right. And you said you met him only a few blocks
19: from here. I didn't. What are you trying to do, Mabel? Put me near the scene of a killing so I'll really get a rap? I didn't see you today until out in the park, just now. Thanks, Bob. Maybe
4: they'll lighten your sentence by a hundred years for that. Hey, look.
19: You haven't proved Mabel killed that guy. He
4: can't. You've as much as admitted it to me, Mabel. You came up to my apartment this noon, probably to see me to find out how much I knew about you and Bob.
10: I had no reason to kill that insurance man.
4: You did when you got to the door of my apartment. You heard him say that he was sure there was more than one person involved in the stealing of this necklace, and that meant you. You probably made some noise while I was on the phone, and Spaulding ran out to investigate. That's
10: a lie. I was never near your apartment.
4: If you were never near my apartment, Mabel, how did you know I was in trouble with the law for pulling a gun on the inspector here when he caught me with Spaulding's body? She knew that. Yes, she knew that, uh, Faraday. How did you know it, Mabel?
10: Why, I, I found out from from. You knew
4: it because you were there hiding in the alcove near the back stairs. You oh, wow. just stabbed Spaulding and haven't had a chance to leave the floor before I came out in the hall. It's
10: a lie. Maybe, maybe the doctor told me what you did.
4: I didn't tell her a word, Blackie. No. Thanks, Dr. Uh. Williams. The word you didn't tell her is the word I wanted Faraday to hear. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Robert Atkins, a pearl necklace isn't the only thing that will be worn around a neck this season. In your case, it may be a rope. A rope. Thank <laughs> you.